as they were attending school, it became apparent that they were struggling with some mental health issues. I had my oldest grandson struggles a lot. My granddaughter, who's she's in um, second grade this year, she also was showing signs of struggling with mental health. And, you know, you're just trying to figure out, is it they're not, you know, understanding what's going on, or is it they have something going on emotionally? Welcome to Family to Family. This is a podcast for families by families on topics and questions about the education system in Ohio. I'm your host, Tom Capretta, coming to you from the Ohio Statewide Family Engagement Center at The Ohio State University. Now let's get to sharing family to family. How are you, Farah? Hey, I'm great. How are you, Tom? Oh, I'm fantastic, and I'm happy to be here for our first episode. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, you know, we polled parents throughout Ohio on what topics or questions they're thinking about most often when it comes to the education system, and mental health came up again and again and again. So that's where we're going to start. We could have done a whole series just on families partnering with their schools for mental health support with all the conversations we collected, but we're going to start today by sharing three experiences of families with you. You had to enjoy listening to these, right, Farah? Man, I did. This one really hit home. It was amazing to see all of the challenges people are navigating with their children as they struggle with mental health issues. And the dedication and the effort that they put into finding solutions for these challenges with their children's schools. I couldn't agree more. Now, I do want to inform our listeners that these conversations do touch on sensitive issues around mental health, including depression and suicide. So listener discretion is advised. Are you ready to get started? I am. Let's get started sharing family to family. My name is Amy Welly. She has always been this happy-go-lucky kid. I mean, she's been picked on all the way through school, but she never really let it get to her. Amy is a parent from Northwest Ohio. Here she is talking about her middle school-age daughter. She'd always been this happy-go-lucky kid. And then um, last year, in the first half of the school year, she did virtual learning. Second semester, she went back to the building. Well, when she went back to the building, there was an event that happened that took her a year to tell us about. But my husband and I, like a lot of people look down on us as parents for this, but my husband and I, when it comes to our teenagers, we're the parents that we're going to go through your computers. We're going to go through your phone. You know, we're going to find out what's going on. So going through her computer and with her homework assignments and stuff like that, my husband had started noticing like some of the songs that she listened to were starting to change. Some of the song lyrics that she was copying and pasting to think like a lot of the stuff that she was writing um, started centering around like depression, suicide and stuff like that. And he questioned her like he would questioned her many times. Like, are you depressed? Is there something going on? Is there something you want to talk to me about? And she just kept saying, no, I'm fine. I just like the song. We had kept noticing it. 
then this year in eighth grade, she had started having some severe anxiety. Um, my name's Christina Chalmers. My husband and I became a kinship family um, two years ago. Um, so we are raising three of our grandchildren. Um, currently, their ages are 10, 8, and 6. Um, the children come from a background of um, both parents are addicts. Um, so they had exposure to um, things in their early childhood that no child should have to experience. Uh, they also suffered from severe neglect. You know, so no lack or lack of structure, uh, no discipline, no routines, you know, um, things like that. So um, just kind of getting them integrated into our local school is kind of how we um, started on this journey. So I prefer queen of the world. However, for this situation, just call me Michelle. So I have a, a fantastic family um, and met, married my husband after I, I got a bachelor's in education and we found out we were pregnant and had our first little girl and, you know, everything was just kind of wonderful. You know, he had uh, two children from a prior relationship that I would advocate for um, at school, just, you know, behavioral things going through like divorce issues and that sort of thing. And then our child, um, my daughter was just absolutely, I would say textbook, textbook kiddo, um, did everything, met her milestones, did everything that she was supposed to do and, and seemed to, you know, just be a piece of cake. And then um, when she was nine years old, I got word that one of our family members was going to be incarcerated and she had just given birth to a child who was uh, 10 weeks old. And so we stepped up and decided to take the child in kinship and not really understanding what that was. And so Skylar joined our household. Um, she was 11 weeks at the time, failure to thrive, had been born um, drug addicted, had been through some real trauma in that short amount of time. And we worked through the job and family services of Lucas County. We lived in Toledo at the time, and we were able to bring her home and kind of uh, very vested in her. And um, she is now 16 years old. We were able to adopt her when she was three years old. And um, that began my entire paradigm shift in advocating for kiddos that uh, come from those types of situations that's not supposed to happen to your family, right? Like that doesn't happen to us. That's the people across the street. And it was very real for us. Three families, three different school ages, three different backgrounds, three stories of their children struggling with their mental health and wellness. Dips in mental health can affect all of us, no matter our story. Let's hear how these families sought to address the struggles of their children alongside their schools. I get really excited talking about this because uh, Skylar is my great niece first. I mean, that's how she was born. She is my daughter. She will always be my daughter, my baby. And she is actually the catalyst for why I believe um, my platform for mental health is so, so strong and stable. Um, Skylar was identified, diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome, ADHD, 
Uh, we went on to identify her with sensory processing disorder and um, most recently was diagnosed with severe depression and anxiety. That was probably about three or four years ago. What we saw when, when we had this child, because people hear nature versus nurture. So, hey, she's living in a very stable home. Both parents are working. We are engaged. We're in a church family. And so what problems could there possibly be? And uh, that became very clear. We had a child who was unable to articulate how she felt. There was confusion. Uh, she would bite herself in, to calm. She would hit her head against the floor. She would scream. Um, there were just so many things that just, as I said, my first child, we had no experience with that at all. Here, Amy discusses her child's intense feelings after experiencing a serious and traumatic event. She then tells me and her mom that when it happened, she had thoughts of suicide because she didn't know how to process any of the information. And that the only thing that stopped her was that she knew her younger siblings were going to miss her. So, I mean, we're working through it now. Um, she's at that point talking to the guidance counselor. The guidance counselor had informed us that there was um, mental health counselors that come from an office over in Upper Sandusky to do counseling with the kids at the school. So she started counseling with the mental health professionals that come in. So she is doing counseling now. She has not asked us for any of her anxiety meds probably since about two or three weeks after that happened. So, and I will tell you that when they're little like that, it's almost easier to educate them. It's easier to partner with their teachers because when they're two and three, we expect those tantrums. We expect them to hit each other and and what I've learned is that every behavior is a form of communication. And so in her little world, she was attempting to tell us she didn't feel right. Well, I think that for the most part, our teachers go into the educational field to teach, to impart knowledge, to have a classroom that may um, just looks very crickety and beautiful and set up in a certain way. And and mental health can be sloppy. It can be sticky. It can be awkward. And I think that for many of our professionals, at least in the educational realm, they may not feel equipped to deal with the outliers in mental health. Um, and, and that could be a parent who doesn't necessarily know how to articulate their concerns for their child. A child who, due to fight, flight, or freeze, may behave in a certain way, and the teacher now is, is concerned about 27 other children, and, and what am I supposed to do? There's a whole lot of mandates and rulings and standards and pressures that we've put on classroom teachers. And it is imperative as a community, as a group of people that are focused on children, it is imperative that we put the resources and tools at their fingertips, that we provide them with people who are specially trained to talk to children, uh, play therapists, social workers, counselors. I have so much appreciation and so much gratitude to these teachers and to these educators because they're doing a job that most of us can't do or most of us are not built to do like, but, you know, treat these kids like they were your kids. 
establish the relationships with these kids like they were your kids. Because if you see your child struggling through this situation, would you want to see another child struggling through this situation? Initially, when we gained custody of the children, my husband and I did go in person to the school um, and sit down with the principal and the school psychologist and said, here's the situation. Here's where we're at. We need some support. So we, we need some help and some direction as to, you know, what's going on with the kids here at school. Um, I'm really engaged in what the kids are doing. I'm very open to communication. I'm, you know, I've met with all of their teachers um, the past couple of years. They know they can email me. They can call me um, with any concerns, any behavioral concerns that they have, any academic concerns they have. And I also have reached out to them about things, behaviors that I'm seeing at home um, or I'm seeing the work that they're bringing home and I have concerns about it, you know. I believe that our world as a whole has begun to start the conversation of mental wellness, mental health, and attempting to reduce the stigma. Um, and that's difficult. That's really a very difficult conversation to have. Mental health, mental wellness doesn't suddenly go away. It doesn't cure itself when you get a certificate. People are human and we might not always know the label or the circumstances, but our teachers certainly need those resources and our kids need to be okay. Uh, we need to model those conversations for them. We need to set them up for success. We need to practice responses like we practice fire drills. When so-and-so hits you, what are you going to do? How are you going to react? And so I think we're on an upward swing of being able to have those conversations. They're so essential. We can appreciate this perspective. We agree communication between home and school and home to home is crucial and foundational for students to thrive. For families listening, maybe you find yourself in a position where you are starting to understand what's unfolding in your child's life and not quite sure what to do. Michelle, Amy, and Christina want to share some helpful advice with you. The thing that helped us the most was counseling whether it be family counseling, counseling for myself and my husband, counseling for my little, being able to talk about it, to kind of put it in compartments to be able to deal with it. Two of my grandchildren are in, you know, some therapies like speech and occupational um, therapy. So, uh, you know, that has to correspond with what they're doing at school too. And then my oldest grandson, you know, is in uh, some heavy counseling right now. He's in a, a trauma focused counseling. So, you know, there's a lot going on there. So it does take a lot of communication. Every single conversation, when you sit down and you go to talk about what's going on, it should be what's best for the child. And so I've had family members, uh, families that have come to me and have said, I've already talked to this person and I've talked to this person and I've talked to this person. Don't stop. Don't stop. Um, I think that when we look at our children, they've been given to us for a reason and we are the advocate. Many of us have walked in those shoes before and we just didn't know what it was called, but we need to 
continue that conversation because the stigma is real. We need to reduce that for our children. But their behavior, again, is a form of communication. And if we don't hear them and put things in place to build them up and help them maneuver and navigate this world, then too often they believe that the pain is not worth it. And so I have, I have said it, I believe this, we need to bury the shame and the stigma and stop burying our children. And while that's difficult to hear sometimes, it's more difficult to look that family in the eye when they came to you and you weren't able to help them. I don't have all the answers, but I have resources. And so you just keep reaching out checking in, making sure that they feel visible, that they feel heard and that they feel valued. Um, and I think that, and just being honest with them, I'm so sorry that you're going through this. I don't have the answer right now, but let's look to this person and just be there for them. I know that we get busy in our lives, especially in the schools. I mean, we get very busy. We've got deadlines and mandates, but if you knew that by taking that moment, that was going to change their life. Wouldn't you take it? Absolutely. Yeah. The biggest thing I can say is just like, pay attention to your kids because most, like I said, with us, we started noticing like attitude and personality changes. Like she wasn't being disrespectful, but she just kind of, she wasn't her perky self. Like, you know, like she was, it is a big deal. Pay attention to these students. If you see a student that goes from being happy or something and then like just all of a sudden they're drawn in or like you're seeing fake smiles or they're just not acting the way that they would talk to them like talk to them and try and figure out what's going on so that's my recommendation if your child's in any kind of counseling please reach out to them because they will help you talk to the school um, so she really, the two of us kind of, you know, pushing forward is at least got him on the 504. Once he was there, um, I pushed even further for him to get on the IEP. The school psychologist was kind of the holdup a little bit for us. Um, she just said, well, you know, he's doing really well in school <laughs> and I wasn't seeing that, you know, no, he's not doing really well. You know, he's hurting himself. He's, you know, his scores are low. Like he's really struggling. Children sometimes get really good at masking their lack of understanding or their feelings, especially a child with a low social emotional health. My grandson's social emotional health is about half of his age right now. You know, that's really important to understand because if he doesn't understand what's happening, he, he can't learn, you know, he cannot learn. So that's just as important. I think the social emotional health as the academics. Hello, my name is Patrick Cunningham, uh, but you can just call me Patrick. I am currently a student at Ohio State. I am pursuing my doctorate in counselor education and my background is in school counseling. I worked as a school counselor for a number of years, both in the United States and overseas. 
I'm also currently working for the Ohio Statewide Family Engagement Center as a graduate research assistant. At the moment, focusing mostly on helping to support partnerships between families and schools throughout Ohio around mental health. Just as our physical health can change over the course of our lives, we go through various stages of life where we're feeling healthy and unhealthy for various reasons. It's the same sort of thing with mental health. There are different levels of need and different levels of care associated with our levels of need regarding our mental health. This can change and fluctuate over the course of our life. One thing that comes up a lot regarding mental health is trauma. So trauma can come from many different things. Research has pointed to something called adverse childhood experiences as potential sources of trauma. And these include life events during childhood, such as exposure to violence, abuse, and neglect, or experiencing the death of a loved one, or exposure to drugs and alcohol addiction, experiencing poverty, divorce, or separation of parents, just to name a few. And so one thing that's really important with trauma, and one thing that makes it perhaps more difficult to understand than physical health, is that trauma is really dependent on how it's experienced by each individual. So everyone might experience something in a different way. And for that reason, it's really important for us to check in with kids about what they're going through and, and listen with empathy and understanding, being sure to recognize that they may be experiencing something in a little bit of a different way from the way that you might experience it. Research has shown that positive experiences are just as important as adverse or traumatic experiences for children. And these positive experiences help to protect kids against the impact of trauma. And some really important positive experiences that have been shown to be particularly impactful, and these are things that can be provided by families and schools, include nurturing relationships with families, also teachers and other educators and peers. Also, things like developing a sense of school belonging or a sense of belonging in the community. Also, things like experiencing structure through routines and a sense of meaning through celebrations and, and traditions and rituals, other various experiences. So schools and families can work together to build in these positive experiences for their kids. And this would really help to reduce the impact of trauma. And it's really also important to build open two-way communication between families and schools that encourage families to reach out if they have more specific concerns with their child's mental health and their emotional health. My advice for families is to start really just by normalizing mental health and having conversations at home that can encourage reflection on how kids are feeling. Often, kids of all ages might have a really difficult time identifying and naming emotions. Uh, and that's something that's really important. You know, in order to process through an emotion effectively, um, we all really need to be able to recognize what it feels like in our bodies, to identify it, name it. And then we can kind of be able to process it and move forward. It can really be supported at home and in school. So it takes time and practice to do this. Also, as adults, it's important for us to talk about mental health with our kids because it's become a topic that's really prevalent in their world. You know, kids are talking about things like anxiety, depression, triggers, suicide, self-harm. And these conversations are happening on social media, in person, online chats, or over text. And this is not really, it's not meant to be a warning to scare you, but really to emphasize the prevalence of these conversations, which as we know, when done in an, an arena that's, you know, not supervised, it might lead to some misinformation around these topics. In my experience as a school counselor, I've seen kids using these words incorrectly or inappropriately. 
and that can lead to some escalating emotions. So really to kind of promote positive and informed conversations on these topics, take the time to ask your kids about what they're hearing, what they're talking about with their friends and what they think about topics around mental health. And then also, you know, encourage them to open up and let you know what they're feeling, but also really be sure to let them know that you love them no matter what, and no matter what they're feeling or no matter what they're thinking. If the child in their care is experiencing mental health challenges, it can really sometimes feel like a reflection on their parenting. You know, like, oh gosh, what, what have I done wrong? Or, you know, what, what could I have done differently? There can be feelings of fear, or feelings of anger, a variety of emotions associated with that. So it's important for families to seek support to process through their emotions, just as it's important for kids to process through their emotions. You know, talk with others about what you're experiencing. Seek support from friends, uh, family members, professionals. And this can go a really long way in increasing your capacity to successfully navigate these difficult experiences with your child around mental health, while also, you know, helping to reduce the stigma that's associated with mental health. You know, it's really important to view families as experts, especially experts of their own kids. So really, you know, take the time to seek their perspective and expertise on their children. Seek active partnerships with families to support mental health and well-being. Another thing I would really recommend is trying to engage in trauma-informed practices as a school. Um, and this means approaching children and families in a way that is sensitive to the trauma that they may have experienced. And trauma-informed approaches really are universal. It's for all students. So it's approaching students and their families as if they, they may have experienced some kind of trauma throughout their life. And if you're engaging all students and all families in this way, they can really go a long way in helping out any of the, the kids or their families that have experienced trauma. And there's a lot of resources out there around trauma-informed practices, and specifically a school-wide approach to trauma-informed care goes a long way. And last, just want to emphasize the importance in kind of leading the way and normalizing conversations around mental health. It's really important for schools to be open about the importance of mental and emotional health, and also to share who the primary contacts are for mental health in schools. You know, this often may be a school counselor, maybe another professional. But while schools are not the only members of a community that are responsible for mental health, you know, that may often come in partnership with counseling services in the community. They do see kids day in and day out every day. And so schools do have dedicated mental health professionals within their buildings. So it's important for families to know who those contacts are. And also, you know, for schools to promote the mental health resources and supports that are in the communities so that families can access these supports directly. Thanks again so much for having me. Um, again, there's so much more that could be said, but I really do appreciate the time to have this conversation. On behalf of the Ohio Statewide Family Engagement Team, I'd like to thank all of our wonderful guests on this episode. Thanks for listening to Family to Family. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you're listening today. Your feedback is welcome and appreciated. For more information and resources from topics discussed in today's show, please visit ohiofamiliesengage.osu.edu forward slash podcast. Along with that web address, our social media handles and email are in the show notes. Follow us on Twitter at Ohio Engage and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Ohio SFEC. I'm Tom and that's Farah, and this has been Family to Family.
Family to Family is a production of the Ohio Statewide Family Engagement Center in the Center on Education and Training for Employment at The Ohio State University.